This episode of the Nevers Podcast is sponsored by Dead Good Teas, aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Tea ships worldwide, so whether you're braving the Arctic winds of the Yukon or strolling the beaches of beautiful Thailand, Dead Good Teas has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Teas for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodteas.co.uk. And don't forget, you can follow them online at Dead Good Teas. This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome to the Nevers Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of the upcoming HBO series, The Nevers, from writer, director, and nerd god, Joss Whedon. You can download or stream us from Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere there's podcasts, you'll find us. You can also find us on hbothenevers.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, at HBO The Nevers. If you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, feel free to email us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. And if you really like what we're doing here, and would like us to continue, why not check us out on Patreon? We've got personalised shout-outs for the podcast, access to our secret VIP Facebook group, and some awesome Nevers podcast swag. You'll also get... Dollhouse Awakens, our bi-weekly discussion of every episode of Joss Whedon's criminally underrated sci-fi masterpiece, Dollhouse. And I've got to say a special thanks to all our amazing Patreon supporters. If it wasn't for you and your continued support, we wouldn't be able to keep doing the podcast. So, special big thanks to Precious, Berger Halverson, Heather Malone, and new supporter, Florette Benoit. From the bottom of our hearts, from everyone here at the Nevers Podcast, thank you. I'm your host, Tyg, and today I'm joined by Gina and Kelly. Hey! Alright, so in today's episode, we have a very, very special guest. I'll never forget when I found out about Dead Good Teas and what he's done for us. So let's welcome Mark from Dead Good Teas. Hi guys, how are you doing? And what made you decide that our podcast was one that you wanted to hitch your wagon to? Um, I'd seen you guys um, on Twitter um, and I got speaking to um, Matthew uh, and um, I don't know, it seemed a good fit actually. Um, fairly new to the t-shirt world, it been going roughly about a year now, a bit over a year. Um, I don't know, and it just seemed to be a good fit and I felt a good vibe from you guys and um yeah, we sort of thought we could help each other and, you know, see how we got on. And um, so far, it's been really good. Excellent. Thank you so much. So Dead Good Tees creates high quality T-shirts. And as of March, you're doing coffee mugs, which is really great. <laughs> I'm very much, it's a very much a relaxed business. Um, and I, a lot of the T-shirts, not all of them have been my ideas. Um, a lot of them are from customers. Uh, and that's the way I want it to be. I was never... I never created it to be a business and get rich. That's never going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah. First and foremost, I'm a web designer. I've got my own web design company. Um, and the T-shirt thing started just purely because of my love of cinema. 
Um, and my love of t-shirts. I've always enjoyed interesting t-shirts, you know, and always bought lots of nice horror t-shirts and things and just thought, why am I not making my own? I'm making all these graphics. So I started playing. Actually, about 10 years ago, I actually created a few designs for myself, never took it any further. Um, and then I just thought, right, I'm going to do it this year. And then I think it was late 2018. I just started coming up with some ideas and designs. And um, that was the start of it, really. And then things, it was only literally in March, someone said, I'd really love a mug with that T-shirt on it. Mm. So that's it. I did it. And um, <laughs> they, they started to grow. Um, but I'm, I'm, I just I love the fact that the people that follow me who buy the T-shirts are literally fans. It's not. I don't do big marketing campaigns. I don't, you know, it's 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 just one of those things. It's word of mouth. The idea of the T-shirts is that they're quite subtle. Some of them are more subtle than others. Some are so subtle that they've never sold one. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love a good obscure design. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was I was thinking today. Um, I've got a T-shirt from American Werewolf in London, and it's so random. I did actually sell one, but when they when they leave the slaughtered lamb. And he says, where to next? The duck's breath. And I just, that bit always made me laugh. So I did a T-shirt with a pub sign with the duck's breath on it, with a duck on it, breathing. <laughs> and I sold one. And I thought, at least someone else out there has that one T-shirt, as well as me, obviously. So it's very much a, a community sort of thing. I've got some great followers on Twitter and Facebook, and it's especially Instagram. And we all talk about these films, and, and I try and turn their ideas into T-shirts. I love that. And, you know, who doesn't love a good graphic tee? I mean, I have too many and I had to stop buying them because I love like I love what you're doing and I love the obscure references. Um, I love some obscure films and I I love that moment when like that person with that one T-shirt eventually is going to run into somebody that gets it. I guess then it's 100 percent just you that designs it or do you have any like team or like guest uh, artists or anything? Um, I do have uh, another guy who does some of the illustration work with me and a lot of ideas. He's just a good friend of mine. James is a brilliant little illustrator. And he, um, this is his name's James West. He comes up with ideas as well. Another big film fan. Very similar kind of taste in movies. A lot of 80s. A lot of 80s film. I mean, he's obsessed with Commando to an unhealthy degree, I feel, sometimes. Um, yeah. I mean, you can, I, think you can, I think you can look in Commando in a couple of ways. An action film, but it's also a love story. Um, <laughs> but he's and so he does some of the illustration work as well because he's really good at it so um but i'm more than happy to even put it out to your followers if anyone's got an idea that they would love to see on a t-shirt even if it's just the idea it doesn't have to be the artwork or anything i'm more than happy mm-hmm. to encourage anyone because it's that's it's literally for the fans i'm no i'm i'm, I'm no conglomerate i'm no big businessman i'm literally here just doing this because it is good fun there we go. I love that. I love that so, so much. And just so you know, Mark, I am the Nevers resident super horror fan. So I, had, I love I had, I had everything. Been I've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. I wanted to say that I love the, I do really love the Hannibal Lecter moth image it's stunning it's beautiful like i wouldn't have thought to blend all of those different types of colors together because obviously that's not what the death heads moth looks like but it works so well it's incredible it's beautiful i try and break it down to a bit more basic things because obviously for printing Mm -hmm. um and the these are colors are bright colors i know 
will print well. I've actually got that T-shirt on today, funnily enough. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and it prints so nice and clear, and that one has been really popular. Do you have any plans to expand your products? You mentioned you've, in March you added your amazing coffee mugs, of which I'm planning to buy one very soon. Do you have any other like, kind of ideas, maybe like hats or badges and patches for people to put on their bags? I don't want to get too far away from the tea thing because that's my passion. Um, the mugs thing, someone did, you know, repeatedly asked me, said they really love a mug. It was actually, they wanted the the moth on the mug. Um, so that was the fir- that was the first one. And also the Voorhees coffee one. That's one's just obvious. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, can, I've, I haven't got any hoodies. I recently moved to a new supplier a few months back and I, did, I, I didn't like the hoodies with my, the old company and various things. This company I'm with now are better because they um, have depots all over the world. So if you order your T-shirt and you're in America, it gets shipped to you in America, made and shipped in America. If you're in Europe, it gets made and shipped in Europe. So um, they've even got a plant processing factory for making these teas in Mexico. I looked it up to make sure. So wherever you are in the world, the the, the delivery isn't very expensive and you get it pretty quick. So um, obviously at the minute with what's going on in the world, things are slowed down, but they are still still delivering and they're using some you know pretty good techniques to stay apart in where they make the t-shirts so yeah things are still going very well if somebody wants me to do a hat or you know a a hoodie i will be adding some hoodies again pretty soon because they were quite popular um or anything posters is one thing i have thought of if i can make a suggestion yeah go for it mouse pads mouse pads mouse pads they're always a solid option and like you can just Sort of the, t- the t-shirt graphic carries so brilliantly onto a mouse pad they'll be next after my, after my poster yes posters first and then if i could get, if I could get a never's podcast mouse pad i would literally be in heaven well i'm i'm really looking forward to when the nevers does come out because i will specifically be aiming to do some based on the new show and i will specifically be aiming to buy all of them i i feel like i've missed out with a lot of joss whedon's things in terms of because he's done so many shows. I remember watching Firefly. Buffy, I kind of watched at the time, but I can't say I'm an aficionado. You know, I enjoyed the Serenity movie, and then all the way through, all these bits he's done. But now, because I know The Nevers is coming, we hope. I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's, I, I guess it's been filmed most of it, has it? Are they stopped? I believe they've, fin- they've wrapped the first two episodes, and they're both in post-production. But episodes three through ten are currently on pause. I believe they had... They're not completely. They've they've got filming done, just not enough to completely wrap all the episodes. But they should be starting up again as soon as they can. Yeah, when they when they when they get there, and I'm, it's am I right in saying it's supernatural kind of horror? Not 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 horror, but it's got a supernatural undertones. I believe it's being billed as a sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it really? Yeah. So yes, it sounds up my street anyway. So I'm going to really when that <laughs> does come out, watch it with real glee and think. Right, I'm going to create some t-shirts for you guys. On this just purely because I'm a fan of you guys now, so that's the way we'll go with that. Oh, thank you. Too. I'm currently <laughs> wearing your Never's Podcast t shirt and it's so comfortable, and the design is amazing. So, thumbs up for that. Can't wait for more of your stuff. I'm gonna go away as well and watch Dollhouse. Never seen it. Yay! Oh. Excellent. Well worth it. Exactly. So, now we're gonna get into the news. So, production shuts down on the Nevers and everything else people are creating in the world, sadly. Oh, so will this affect its 2021 release date? Maybe, maybe not. 
I uh, just want to remind you listeners to keep an eye out on our website and our blog pieces because there there will be thoughts and feelings and speculations there about exactly when in 2021 the Nevers will be released. Second up, speaking of things that have been cancelled because of COVID-19, San Diego Comic-Con 2020. And if the show does happen, what are the chances of there being a teaser trailer for the Nevers? Considering they've got the first two episodes wrapped and not much else to do with their time, I would say chances (laughs) are pretty high. I hope so. So speaking of other news that we have, we recently interviewed Tamo Pennicut from Dollhouse, and it was an amazing interview. Um, He was so insightful, so intelligent, so sweet, an amazing storyteller, obviously. And um, there's a lot of amazing highlights. A personal one that I have is I asked him about the audition process for Dollhouse, and I can't wait for you listeners to hear what he had to say because he had to say a lot of cool things about Joss and Eliza. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. I, I have so many thoughts about San Diego Comic-Con. I, <laughs> I have tickets um, and I, I'm curious if if they do cancel it, if they're going to just refund everyone or if our tickets are going to go on to next year's show or... I kind of wish, and I just thought about this right now, I kind of wish they would postpone it to a little bit later this year instead of it being canceled. And I'm I'm crazy when I go to Comic-Con. I camp out for two or three days to go to Holly, which is the big room where all the big TV shows and movies are announced. So I would have been first row if there's an HBO panel. <sighs> so... <laughs> I mean, I saw an article the other day saying that I believe uh, this month, April 2020, is the first month for 20 or 30 years where there has not been a single convention anywhere in the world. And while that is, you know, that's a sad statistic, it's not as sad as the statistic of everyone in June being dead. Because even at the best of times, a con is like a Petri dish for disgustingness i mean pax pox uh, pax is a an ongoing joke so i think it, it it would be the wise thing for them to push like while i obviously want to see the big panels and the releases i think they would be wise to maybe push it back to like late july early august when hopefully things are a little bit safer i was just gonna say um i mean oh, when it, this all started for us here in the uk around you know, sort of mid-March sort of thing. I had quite a few tickets to go and see quite a few bands around that time. And um, literally every single one of them has just said, um, we'll give you a new date, we'll give you a new date. You'll give... And I would think a lot of, that's a sensible approach really, isn't it? Because, you know, just move things on, push it all to the future. You can always rearrange it again if you have to. Just, you know, give everyone something to look forward to. I think it's, I mean, I would love to go to San Diego, uh, San Diego Comic Con. If anybody wants to buy me a ticket, I'll be there. I'll I'll go in June. I don't care. I'll be there. But there we go. (laughs) The other option, of course, is to do what a number of places have done, which is to take it online. But I feel like that kind of diminishes the event of it all. But they could put the panels, like stream them instead of having them in person. And uh, what do you guys, Kelly and Tyke, what do you think are expectations for the interview versus reality? I mean, <laughs> I know <laughs> us three were kind of freaking out beforehand because we were really excited, but also nervous. Um, yeah. 
So I was super nervous. What about you two? Um, I wasn't nervous, which um, I, w- I was really intrigued because I've met him before. He's a very sweet man. Um, I did not expect him to be as chatty as he is. And so <laughs> many stories like he's just a straight up storyteller, straight up professional. And, you know, we talked to him to t- for about two and a half hours and he was so fantastic. I mean, there might have been a little bit of overlap with some of the questions like our questions and listener questions but we wanted to make sure that our listeners had their questions asked um but he just all took it in stride and i guess the other portion of it i maybe it's just i think it's the time like if we would have done this six months ago or six months later um it might not have been so serious but you know there were times we wanted it to be kind of like fun and light you know and everybody have a good time but right now you know, it's it's a really serious, crazy time to be alive. And so he just had a lot of, yeah, a lot of poignant, insightful, serious things to, to say and to talk about. And I think he was just a really genuine, lovely person. So that that overall was my uh, I was kind of unex- I was unexpected of that. So uh, but I still really enjoyed it. He's a sweet, sweet, handsome, talented man. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say I was absolutely terrified going in i had no idea what to expect and then literally within five minutes i was i was calm again like he is just the kindest nicest dude i've ever spoken to such a great guy and as you said like a born entertainer like we would ask him sort of relatively simple questions and he would just spin these amazing stories kind of taking elements from his life and everything and give these like 15 minute answers to three word questions but we were all just sitting there completely wrapped. Like it's a two and a half hour interview of which about 40 minutes is us three. And the rest is just these amazing stories from Tamo. I, I really can't wait for our audience to hear it. It's it's a real treat. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And um, again, it's just really cool to hear from someone that worked with Joss and someone that worked in Dollhouse. Cause I feel like again, Dollhouse is such an underrated show that a lot more fans should pay attention to and rewatch. So can't wait for you guys to listen to that. And the last bit of news we have is Joss Whedon shared some of his comfort watches and some of his comfort sequels on Twitter. So um, some of his comfort watches include Shaun of the Dead, which is hilarious. Uh, It's a comfort watch. Um, Because I I still kind of think it's a little scary. Obviously hilarious, too. Um, (laughs) The American President remains of the day little women the gillian armstrong version he hasn't seen the gerwig yet i have not seen the gillian armstrong version but the gerwig version is amazing and uh bull durham so those are his comfort watches and his comfort sequels is frozen 2 yes joss uh, <laughs> 28 <laughs> weeks later <gasps> yes joss <laughs> <laughs> dawn of the dead romero Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. And Thor Ragnarok. Yay. Oh, my God. Um, I know Joss loves, obviously, he loves Thor Ragnarok, but uh, I was lucky enough to see him speak at USC. Um, he was doing a Q&A of the Avengers with Kevin Feige, which was, like, 
unreal. And this was probably two years ago. So he was talking about how much he loved Thor Ragnarok. And he's like, Kevin, I can't believe you actually let Taika Waititi make a Taika Waititi film. Like, <laughs> it was like all the way Taika. And they were laughing about it. But yeah, so this is a, a great list, Joss Whedon. I would agree with all of them. I would think they're some great picks. But I have to wonder if his appreciation for Shaun of the Dead had anything to do with him casting Nick Frost on The Nevers. Ooh. Oh. See, I'm looking forward to The Nevers even more now. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, the cast is amazing. Like, There's a lot of really fantastic people. And after you finish uh, Dollhouse, you'll be even more excited because Olivia Williams is a prominent role in both series. But when I saw that first casting and saw Nick Frost, I was like, yes. I am a thousand percent in for this show. I need more Nick Frost. Okay, and now we're going to get into a super extra fun aspect of this episode. And we're going to talk about our favorite sci-fi and horror films. So starting with you, Mark, I know we kind of already mentioned a few of them, but please share some of your all-time favorite sci-fi and horror films or TV shows. I would say when you talk about horror and sci-fi, I don't think anything brings that together any more than the one and only Terminator. For me, number one is a horror film at heart. It's about this killer who's come from the future to kill the unborn son of somebody. You know, he's a Terminator. He's there to kill you. The bits where he's cutting his arm, taking his eye out. The feel, the feel of dread, the lack of talk for Marnie in that film. It's by far his best performance because he never says anything. <laughs> I, I believe it's seven, seven words he says in the entire film compared, compared to Terminator 2 where I believe it's 700 and something. But that you believed he was a machine and you believed he would just, whatever it took to kill Sarah Connor, he would do it. And that whole thing, that for me, that, that ultimate scene in the nightclub um, in Tech Noir... Technoir was a phrase that James Cameron came up with to describe the actual what he felt this film came under, um, mm-hmm. where technology meets noir, backed up by horror, and just that really spawned my love of both three, the horror and the sci-fi. You know, when you you, you know a couple of years later, Aliens come out, you know, Robocop. I could go on forever about, but that that midpoint of the eighties, obviously, you had the thing in eighty four. So, I mean, that's a serious run of quality sci-fi. For me, Terminator 1, the best film ever made. Wow. I love and have read... I've read about labeling the Terminator as a horror film, or at least, yeah, essentially a sci-fi horror. And for most of my years of life, I never really thought of it as that. But I'm definitely convinced that you are right, and there is uh, horror elements to to that uh, film. And... For me personally, I love space horror or sci-fi horror. Blending those two together are so perfect. And there's not a lot. That's like a very niche aspect of the horror genre is uh, sci-fi and space horror. And when they do it, it can be done really, really well. And it's horrifying. So for me, if we're going to talk about space horror or sci-fi horror... Uh, my favorite of my well, my favorite horror film of all time is Alien. <laughs> Again, I mean, and the sequel as well. Just that mm. run. I mean, I mean, when you get an artist like Ridley Scott making a film, you know, mm. obviously he'd done Blade Runner as well. But the the horror element in Alien, I remember seeing that that whole scene with the cat, and you know the aliens, and you know it's Harry Dean Stanton is it? He's, he, he comes. <sighs> oh my god! 
I know. Like I saw Alien and Aliens way too young. And I'm like you. I started watching horror movies when I was probably too young to do it. And so the xenomorphs are the most frightening things that I have ever witnessed and experienced in a film. And so seeing that and having nightmares, I didn't revisit any of those films for probably 15 or more years because I was so terrified. And then like eight or so years ago, rewatched them in a theater and I was just as terrified. And like, I'm a little bit better, but holy moly, the, the first movie is just, well, I think it's just perfection and it's terrifying. And those xenomorphs, that creature design is also my favorite. I just love everything about that movie. Any film with like creepy dolls, creepy uh, ventriloquists, like puppets, mm. or yep. creepy Victorian little girls, I'm out. Just no. <laughs> Hard pass yep. on all of yep. those three. This is the part where I have to kind of hold my hand up. I'm not a huge horror fan. It's never really been my genre. I don't really have a kind of a, a favorite sci-fi horror flick, but I would have to agree that the Alien franchise is fantastic. And if for no other reason, you've got to give it credit for having one of the most iconic taglines in cinema history. In mm-hmm. space, no one can hear you scream. It doesn't get much better than that. What did you feel about the newer Alien films? The Covenant and... Ugh, hard pass. No, sorry. I went to see Covenant with a friend of mine and I was just... The only good thing about Covenant was Fassbender. Yeah. Everything else was just dull. Just didn't go anywhere, did it? It was just... I don't don't want to know where the aliens come from with Prometheus. I don't want to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think they would have learnt from the Star Wars prequels? No one cares where the big bad came from. They just want to see the big bad being big and bad. I don't... All I want to know about Xenomorphs, I, the less you know about Xenomorphs, the mm-hmm. better they are as villains. When they're just like a flash in the shadow, that's terrifying. Yep. When you know their whole biological tree, I don't care. I don't want to know that. It like by proxy, it ruins the other films almost because you kind of you can just you can't get that image out of your head. Um, I want to make sure before we move on, because there's actually a bunch more that we have to talk about, is for Gina to chime in on, I know horror scares her, but do you have any like favorite sci-fi, like regular straight up sci-fi films? So here's the weird thing with me in horror. Um, Through middle school all the way to high school, a little bit of the beginning of college, horror is all I would watch. But the problem is I saw so many bad horror films Uh that... By the time I went to college, I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm never going to watch another horror film again. It's not a good genre, <laughs> which is so stupid of me to say. Um, but, and I know this is really appropriate for this podcast, but when I saw Cabin in the Woods in theaters, mm-hmm. um, after I saw it, I turned to my sister and I'm like, this is my new favorite horror film. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, Cabin in the Woods is genius, obviously. I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know, it's it's just... I guess I like smart horror, so yeah. Scream is great. Mm-hmm. Where it just, like, comments on the genre, but there's also a twist to it. Um, it it's not just like, oh, let's see people having sex, and then they get brutally murdered, and it's not scary. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not about that. <laughs> um, you don't like so Friday I, the 13th, then? 
<laughs> and you know what's funny? Like I saw I saw Freddy versus Jason in theaters. Like I've seen so many horror films. Um and yeah, maybe because I saw so many that that doesn't appeal to me anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I I know exactly where you're coming from. They have to have know? something about them. Yeah. And and so that brings me to my other next favorite horror film. Um It and It Chapter Two, the two recent mm. ones. It, oh my God. They're like, to me, they're like art horror films. Kind of like how Skyfall is a James Bond art film, in my opinion. Like, it, it just, it delves way more into the psychology of the characters and what they fear. And in doing that makes it so relatable to everyone who watches it, in my opinion. And... Yeah, I think Andy Muschietti, who's the director, he's a genius. I've met him twice. He's a huge idol of mine, but he's just, uh, just the camera angles, the way the story is told, the acting from the kids and the adult cast. Um, and sorry if it's a spoiler, but in the sequel, there's a somewhat openly gay character, which is really amazing and brave to do that in a mainstream horror film and i could just go on and on about it and i know dead good tees has a few it shirts so i'm definitely gonna buy them yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm a big fan of the 80s obviously going back to the 80s um tv series of it um it was just it caught me at a, a young age obviously now even though i had a very very disappointing end um, Tim Curry as Pennywise was just one oh of the God. scariest things ever. Um, I do, but I have to say I did like the modern versions too. The second one was didn't enjoy as much as the first one, but it was, I still thought it was pretty good. So we have three main films that we're going to talk about today. Terminator, then we're going to talk about Avengers, and then we're going to talk about Alien Resurrection. So, Tig, take it away. Released on October 26th, 1984, The Terminator is quite a well-known film, but it's about a cyborg assassin known as The Terminator, who is sent back in time from 2029 to 1984 to kill humankind's most important woman, the unsuspecting Sarah Connor, whose son will one day become a savior against the machines in a post-apocalyptic future war. Kyle Reese, a human soldier from the Resistance, is sent back in time to the same year and arrives shortly afterwards to protect Sarah and stop the cybernetic killer from eliminating the world's last hope. But the Terminator has no feelings, he doesn't sleep, and above all, he will never stop until he's carried out his grim task. Written by James Cameron, Gail Ann Hurd and William Wisher Jr. and directed by Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger in what is probably still his most iconic role, The Terminator, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Michael Bain as Kyle Reese, Lance Henriksen as Detective Hal Volkovich, Paul Winfield as Lieutenant Ed Traxler, and Ed Bowen as Dr. Peter Silverman. So yeah, some uh, behind-the-scenes interesting facts about the film. As the story goes on, during, as the story goes, during the release of Piranha 2, The Spawning, director David Cameron fell ill and had a dream about a metallic torso holding kitchen knives dragging itself from an explosion. Inspired by director John Carpenter, who had made the slasher film Halloween on quite a low budget, Cameron used this dream as a launching pad to write the iconic movie. For the role of Kyle Reese, Orion Pictures wanted an up-and-coming star with foreign appeal and met with Schwarzenegger and sent his agent the script. Cameron, however, was dubious about casting him as Reese. 
and after a meeting with Arnold and talking to him, Cameron realised he would make, and I quote, one hell of a Terminator. However, he wasn't the first choice. Both Sly Stallone and Mel Gibson were offered the Terminator role, but turned it down. I wonder if they regret that now. <laughs> and music musician Sting was suggested for the role of Kyle Reese. Thankfully, Cameron ultimately chose Michael Bane. So, Mark, what do you think Terminator would still be your favourite film ever if it had been Mel Gibson versus Sting? <laughs> Maybe not with Sting. Um, big Mel Gibson fan. So, um, But just, um, I do also know that O.J. Simpson was up for the role. I had heard that too. And I know that Arnie had lunch with uh, James Cameron and it went on for about five hours. Him tell- telling him how the film should be made, everything, and battered him down so much. And in the end, Cameron just said, look, you're the Terminator. You'll do it. You'll be absolutely perfect. But you can see the you can see the whole Halloween thing in there. And going back to the horror influence of Terminator, he, I mean, Michael Myers, and you put Arnie next to him, and the, the the actions, you know, it's a very similar kind of thing. So you can see where all that came from and how it inspired the film. But um, I couldn't see Sting in there. No, you know, Michael Bean is he's Carl Reese. There's no other Carl Reese. He's Carl Reese. What is it, do you think, about this film that makes it resonate with you so strongly? I just think I'd never seen anything like it before. I'm not sure I've seen anything like it since. I just think there's a feeling to it. The detail in that film, I mean, the way, you know, when his skin all burns off, because, you know, he's living tissue on the outside of an endoskeleton. Before that, there's a bit where he jumps through fire and there's a police car and he punches through the windscreen. His eyebrows are burnt off. It's just little details like that. This You believe this is a real thing. It's really happening. The continuity is fantastic. And it ends up with this robot. Cyborg, sorry. It's not a robot. It was just so unique at the time. And for the budget, I just think it's never been bettered. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th, May, Thursday. What year? I'm here to help you. I'm Reese, DN38416, assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. Where does it want me? Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Terminator. Your future is in its hands. The progression when you kind of, you, you first you see him and he's Arnie and like oh it's some you know, scary guy and then slowly kind of the humanity gets removed from him until last you see that iconic scene of him emerging from the fire and he's just the Terminator. Like, oh okay, now I understand why he's so unstoppable. That whole end scene is just and again a real eighties thing having the double ending, mm. but it just works so well. I mean, I didn't see. It in the cinema first time I saw it on VHS, but I can imagine people when he steps up out the fire and goes after them. I'm sure there was uh, a lot of screaming, you know. 
Oh, yeah. For me, personally, seeing Terminator and, and Terminator 2, for real Terminator 2, like T2, gave me nightmares. The whole endoskeleton stuff, oh, it's just like, do-do-do-do-do. And you see the endoskeleton just, like, coming through the flames. I think that's the beginning of T2. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. And that those kind of those kinds of images have stuck with me, you know, for over 20 years. And they are amazing, amazing films and terrifying ideas. Like, mm. uh, like just the whole idea of, you know, computers taking over the world. It's not that far fetched anymore. <laughs> and, and just how much it inspired other movies as well. Especially, you know. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, just everything copied, especially Terminator 2, just the action, the oh set God. pieces, it just, everything ripped it off. And again, none of them did it as well, did they? So, yeah, just a real game change. I mean, the effects of the liquid Terminator in Terminator 2, again, no one, no one, I mean, I was 15 when that came out and just, you've never seen nothing like it. I was, I mean, I was mm-hmm. into my computers then, even then, and just to think that was computer generated was pretty, and it still holds up today. Terminator, it's a a huge front. It didn't just spawn many, many movies, of which we're only going to talk about two because the rest were rubbish. There was also an amazing TV show, The Sarah Connor Chronicles. Lasted two seasons and featured two amazing Whedonverse alumna, Summer Glau as Cameron Phillips slash Alison Young, and Game of Thrones queen bitch Cersei Lannister. Yeah. (laughs) Lena Headey as the... the titular Sarah Connor. Did you watch the show when it was on? I did. Obviously, Mark. anything Terminator related, I'm going to watch. Yeah. Um, even a even a horrible sequel. But I actually quite enjoyed the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, for me, it was quite nice. It was going somewhere a bit different. It was, you know, obviously different actress. You know, wasn't Linda Hamilton and things like that. But you soon get on board with that, and I, I thought it was quite good. And probably could have ran a bit longer. I think that's really the mark of when you have a great sort of actor or actress in your sort of in your show or your movie, when they can take on such an iconic role and within like an episode or two, you're like, no, it's fine. She is Sarah Connor. She's not Linda Hamilton, but she is Sarah Connor. And that's that's when you know, you've really, really hit the nail on the head with the acting and the writing and everything. Again, she's a fantastic actress. I mean, mm-hmm. a Cersei in Game of Thrones, but she was also really good in um, Dread. Absolutely brilliant actress. And I think that was a big part of it. She was a great actress. And it, it was, I was an enjoyable series, actually. As far as I'm concerned, there was three Terminator films, just the first three, and even the third, um, Rise of the Machines, is I can take it or leave it. But Terminator and Terminator 2, Judgment Day, superb, absolute A-star movies. That's all, that's all I need. In 2009, Joss penned an open letter announcing his $10,000 bid for the Terminator franchise. I did not know that, um, that he made a bid in it, but I would love to see the Joss Whedon terminator movie i just think he would do a great job of it i think as you know because he is so good at story he would have a a new take but i think he would do it in a way i don't know if you can bring the avengers together i know that's we're going to there in a bit but if you can take all those characters and make it work in the way he did i think he's the sort of guy who could you know get the terminator going again but for my personal thing i think they should leave terminator alone for 10 years the terminator your favorite film of all time mark your standout scene from that film, the one which encapsulates why you love that movie. I think I mentioned it earlier, but the nightclub scene in Technoir, um, there's so many Technoir t-shirts out there, that's why I haven't done one yet, but I'm, I have working on my own take of one of those. Um, basically, the bit where it all comes together where the three protagonists meet, Sarah Connor's hiding in a public place so she thinks she's safe, 
She's ringing the police. Um, they're telling her to stay there, stay safe. Um, if you know, people don't know who Carl Reese really is at this point. He's sitting at the bar with his son of shotgun, waiting for her. Um, he's keeping an eye on her because he's drawing, waiting for the Terminator to come in. Terminator comes in, breaks a bouncer's hand on the way in as he walks in. The way the editing, the music, the way she she thinks Michael Bean is the one maybe coming to get her. That way that whole plays out, and the way the Terminator does not care, it just shoots everybody. And then Michael Bean comes, saves the day. The knight in shining armor shoots him through the window, and the chase starts. For me, that is the whole bit where it comes together, and you're like, wow, this is serious. Kelly, I imagine you've got a favorite picked out. Not from the first one, per se. I think more in what's in my head, because I watched it a lot, and also because I'm more of a kid of the 80s, uh, sorry, the 90s than I am of the 80s, so I was born in 83, is more of like Terminator 2. So I will say I don't really have a standout scene, but anything that shows the endoskeleton Woo. is horrifying. So I will say anything that shows any of that, yuck. Him taking out his eye, that's pretty intense. Good, crazy kind of body horror practical effects. All right, I have a confession. I have not watched The Terminator probably in 20 years. Right, I'm just about to hang up. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, I know my dad used to watch it all the time, so I would just like be watching bits and pieces. So after this podcast, I will totally be watching it. Number one, number one. Put it on about 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mentioned it earlier, my, my favourite scene from Terminator 1. It's got to be that scene where he's emerged from the fire and the first time you see the endoskeleton, you, <sighs> see, like, you really see the Terminator for the first time. Like, this is why he's so implacable. This is why he's so scary. Dude is actually just, like, robotic death in human form. You can't fault that. Although, I must say, speaking of the franchise... There's no scene that will ever affect me as much as the thumbs up in the laugh. Heartbreaking. Like, I sobbed like... Oh, I, was, I, was gonna say, I was gonna say, I sobbed like a baby. Then I realised I actually probably was a baby the first time I saw that film. And I think I was about maybe sort of 10 or 11. But yeah, I absolutely sobbed the first time I saw that scene. Yeah. It is heartbreaking. I mean, you know, Edward Furlong's reaction there, that, that's when he could yeah. act. There's a real connection between this chemistry, believe him, and Arnie is fantastic in that scene. Terminator perfectly illustrates the concept of less is more. Mm-hmm. Two films, the, li- the less we know about the Terminator, like, the law's great, but just leave it kind of in the corner of our eye. Don't go too big, dude. Don't reboot it. Just please, James Cameron, if you're listening, just I know, I know he's unkillable, but let the Terminator die for a while. Let him sleep. So let's transition to our next film. Um, this one I can't talk about because I've seen, I'm not even kidding you, I saw it um, 12, no, 15 times in theaters, and then I've seen it a million times oh since then. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and this was before, <laughs> this was before like Movie Pass or AMC A list. Um, I paid that many times to see it. It is The Avengers. released on May 4th, 2012. When Loki, the god of mischief, and his alien army arrive on Earth with the intention of enslaving the human race, Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk, 
Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, with the help of S.H.I.E.L.D., must band together and learn to fight as a team if they're to stop Loki and his alien army from subjugating all of Earth's population. If that's not an amazing logline, I don't know what is. (laughs) (laughs) Basically what my dreams were made of as a kid was literally all those words, but I probably couldn't say them like that. But that's what my dreams were like. So, um, yeah, and it came to reality. Um, Avengers was written and directed by Joss Whedon, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Tom Hiddleston, my love, Clark Gregg, Kobe Smulders, Stellan Skarsgård, Samuel Jackson, and Gwyneth Paltrow. And music by the amazing Alan Silvestri. Um, before we start discussing it, a few behind-the-scenes stuff. Screenwriter Zach Penn wrote a script for The Adventures, which was thrown out after Joss convinced Kevin Feige that they needed to start again from scratch. Part of Joss's issue was the lack of character connections in Penn's draft, which necessi- necessitated, wow, which made Joss want to begin <laughs> at square one. <laughs> Um, it was just a script that was made into the film, but he still shared writing credits with Zach Penn. And Alexis Denisov, which many of us know from a lot of things, but definitely Buffy and Angel, plays the other in the mid credit scene. But he also plays the other um, at the beginning of the film and the scene he has with Loki. And the other is um, the person that works with Thanos that Loki talks to about Thanos. And it's crazy to think that this was Joss's second feature film. Someone on Twitter a few months ago was like, what directors have had the best first film and then the best second film? And I instantly tweeted them Joss Whedon because, I mean, Serenity and The Avengers, (laughs) like, as your two first films is insane. Mm -hmm. And The Avengers is the first comic book movie to make over $1 billion dollars. And yeah, let's start getting into our discussion. And please shut me up because, again, this is one of my <laughs> favorite films of all time. So I could literally talk about it for at least 24 hours. So, what was everyone's uh, first time like seeing The Avengers? I'm happy to just lay this on the line. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with The Hulk um, and Superman. They were my two big things as superheroes as a kid. I never thought I would see it realized on the screen in such a way. I'd be caught up with it at the age of whatever I was, 30-odd at the time. Um, and it, made, it just made me feel six again. Um, both took both my kids to see that film, and that started off with them, this love affair with Marvel. Um, the way he takes all those characters, I think I alluded to it earlier, but the way he brings that together, no one else has ever achieved in a superhero movie. Um Obviously, Iron Man's the main character in the Avengers and these movies, and he's the the focus of it all. But just thought there are such big characters, and the way he did it by showing all their little snippets. Obviously, we had the films beforehand, which brought it all together. um, Which you know, which made which is where I think DC went wrong because they did Batman, Superman way too quick. All that stuff, you know, they rushed it out there. They built this up with Thor, you know, uh, with with Iron Man. All these films led to this moment, and it needed a director who could bring it together in a way that you felt that they could come together because they're all such big egos, these superheroes. Um, and just the effects, the story was interesting. Loki was the perfect bad guy. Yes. Um, the introduction of Thanos slightly, you know, all that stuff. But um, I couldn't remember a film that had blown me away so much that took me back to my childhood and 
the rest of all these films, the 20 odd films that they made in this series, owe everything to me to the Avengers in that it brought it together, made it a, a bigger than a, made it better than a normal blockbuster, took it to another level, and it, they, the proper actors treating it seriously, but also having fun with it, and it just set the ball rolling, and it just, for me, it was just such a fantastic film. My story for this is very short. Um, probably before Joss Whedon was attached to any superhero film. Sorry, the, I don't I don't know much about the comics and any of these films. Um, but because I only went to see the Avengers because Joss Whedon was attached to it. So, um, yeah, I didn't really know much about it. I only went because Joss Whedon and it looked like it would be fun. I was like, whatever, this might be fun. And I did see in the theaters twice and, and a bunch of times after that. Uh, I remember those scenes. It's like directed by Joss Whedon. And I was cheering. I just felt really, really happy and proud of him to finally be able to do something like this that I think was perfectly in his wheelhouse. And it was so funny. And I, there was Joss Whedon humor throughout all of that, especially that end scene where everybody's eating shawarma. Like it's (laughs) laughing. I'm crying. Like, I was like, this is exactly where Joss Whedon should be. And Generally, that's what I have to say about that. I was just really happy and cheered both times when I saw it. And I was, yeah, I was just really, I was so beyond happy for a person that I don't know. And and uh, yeah, I thought it was really fun and great. And I saw it twice in the theater. I think there have been kind of bigger comic book films since. And obviously you've got kind of the Infinity, end, uh, Infinity War Endgame sort of conglomeration, which is, you know, the highest selling film of all time. Absolute kind of pinnacle of cinematic comic book achievement fine but for me the scene in avengers on the highway where they're all kind of in a clump and the camera pans around and you see them all kind of taking their ready stance that is still in my opinion the greatest single shot in any comic book film ever and i don't just mean marvel i mean any comic book film ever made that is the scene that is just so perfect and i don't think anyone has been able to better it and i'm not entirely sure they'll ever be able to like i'm a huge comic book fan huge marvel fan love all the avengers thor is my favorite comic book character of all time but like and i never thought i'd be able to see them on screen and seeing them like that like it was a dream come true and then to see it by one of my favorite writer directors like it's like the film was made for me and i i, I uh, Kelly mentioned earlier the, the shawarma scene like such a simple but it so perfectly encapsulates all the way that the characters feel about everything like you've got Tony there like who's kind of in a daze like dude I just died and now we're eating a kebab what the hell's going on and Captain America's kind of looking quite tired and wan and then you've got Thor just sitting in the corner like nom nom shawarma nom this is just a normal day for me I'm 2000 years old deal with it no, but that that scene encapsulates. I mean, literally, is the it encapsulates the name of the film. They assemble. That's the point. They assemble, yes. doesn't it? You know, it's just yeah, it's fantastic, and it's just the effects are so good. It's just yeah. so good in that yep. film, and it just it wouldn't have worked if it was. Do you know what I mean? If you just felt this wasn't right, I mean, the aliens on the, sh- the, the I can't remember what they're called now. The the people flying. Oh, the Shatari. Yeah, they're just they're nasty looking things. Um, and just that whole, but the humour as well between the characters. For me, that's a lot of that is um, Joss's take as well. Isn't it the stuff that I, you know, when Iron Man calls for uh, Point Break, 
um, <laughs> his nice flowing blonde hair and um, you know, does 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 mother know you're wearing her drapes oh my god well, so it's, it's taking the the that's what i'm saying about not taking itself too seriously but they're proper actors i mean you know robert downey jr he's a proper actor isn't he you know and but the humor is underlying all the way through and the chemistry and you want to see more of it so that's that's what helped kick it on this whole franchise and they've got a lot to thank joss for i think for that absolutely yeah he really spearheaded kind of all of phase one and a lot of phase two and the, the mcu wouldn't exist without him it's just is that simple no no this conversation is making me so happy because not enough people talk about this film anymore so i'm very happy i think the last few have kind of you know, because there's so many of them and they're so quick, wasn't they? I mean, they've yeah. made all these films. In, was it? Is it in 10 years, 11 years? It's just crazy. It's just the quality that was outputted so quick. Um, I know they're working so ahead, far ahead, but um, yeah, no. And that, But for me, this is the one. I mean, it's the film. I watched it again two weeks ago um, and I enjoyed it like it was the first time again. It's just so right. fresh. You know, it's just funny. Um for some weird reason at my job, there are so many people against Joss Whedon. I don't know. It's because I was like overhyping Buffy mm. and, and Firefly and everything. But there's just so many people being like, all right, Gina, your guy. Let's see how he does. Yeah. Let's see how the Avengers does. And I was like, He's, it's going to be amazing. And all of you are going to see how great he is. But I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, can Joss pull this off? Is he going to mess it up? This is like a big undertaking. And then obviously... I'll just never forget that feeling being in the audience of watching the Avengers for the first time. Like, I think I'm trying to remember when I think it's when the Hulk punches Thor. (laughs) 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 Like, like people were standing up out of their seats, you know, and like screaming and and clapping. And like, Mm -hmm. even with how epic Infinity War and Endgame is, there's never going to be anything like the Avengers, like how you guys were saying. And I think for me, I, I will always wish that Joss did Infinity War and Endgame. I, I always see the vision that could have been. The thing about Joss is he makes you care about the characters so much. He just mm-hmm. knows. Like, if you think about even Dr. Horrible, like, it's Dr. Horrible isn't that long, and you don't know these characters that well, but you fall in love with them in no time. And I, I just think that's his greatest um, asset to anything. Mm-hmm. So... So, Mark, kind of like what you were saying, like, only Joss would think of Loki being the main villain. And what's so brilliant about that is obviously Tom Hiddleston's amazing, but it's also like you care about Loki. Like, he's doing an awful thing, but even bringing up the fact that Thanos is going to hurt Loki or kill him if he doesn't succeed even makes you care about Loki. And he's mm-hmm. the villain. And, and and the fact that Loki's tied to Thor. So not only do you care about Loki individually, but you care because that's like obviously Thor's brother. So that makes the villain so tied with the heroes as well. And I love Thor's journey in the Avengers because the whole time he's like, okay, we have to bring Loki down, but like we can't hurt him really, you know? And yeah. and their whole complicated relationship. That's that's my favorite thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Thor and Loki, their relationship throughout all the films. And again, that's why I'm excited for Love and Thunder and the Loki TV show. But I think Joss wrote them so brilliantly. I love this scene with them. It's it's so Shakespearean when they're in like the cliff. Um oh my god, it's just 
we always say Joss is almost like a modern day Shakespeare with the way his dialogue is so different and seeing him get to do a Shakespearean scene between Thor and Loki was like a dream. It's like, is this really happening? Like it's kind of like what all of you have said. It's like, it's like all everything we love about everything put into one film. And, and again, just even how we care about the characters individually, but then we care about everyone's relationships and how Joss was able to balance all of it. So like Iron Man and Captain America's relationship, how sometimes they get along, sometimes most of the time they're at odds with each other. And it's just so in character because one of the things about Infinity War for me is that some of the characters felt a little out of character. Um that's a whole other podcast, but I, I feel like Joss just gets these characters so perfectly and i hope one day i don't know if it'll ever happen but i hope he returns to the mcu maybe to just do a film it doesn't have to be the avengers but there's just nothing quite like a joss whedon anything it's, it's interesting you say the whole shakespearean thing that <clears throat> the scene when um loki's in the glass prison and yes. then um Scar- uh, what's her name? scarlett johansson is black widow is trying to get information out of him isn't she and that bit where he turns and calls her, I'm not going to say it. I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. I don't think anyone, that's a very old English word. That, um, um, Yeah, I was in the cinema. I remember being completely shocked. But how Shakespearean was that? And yeah. that, that whole bit, that dynamic between those two actors was yes. fantastic. The way she switched as well, because she got the information what she wanted in yes. the end. Anyone's final thoughts? I know for me, Joss makes you care about the characters individually. He makes you care about the different relationships, like Mark said, with Black Widow and Loki, even just that scene. And I love, like, um, Black Widow and Hawkeye's relationship. I love what Thor and the Hulk go through. Just, I mean, again, I could wax poetics about this entire film. And, and I love that Loki has his own relationship with each of the Avengers. That's so hard and unique it's such a hard and unique thing to do, but somehow Joss figured out how to write that when he had to tackle so many other things. So yeah, I, there's never going to be a Marvel film like a Joss Whedon one. That's my opinion. What are everyone's final thoughts? Um, I, my main thing is I didn't realize it was only his second film. Can you imagine that being your second film and it, and it made, <laughs> made over a billion dollars. Anyway, whatever. It's a fantastic movie and, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go much again now. Uh, for me, again, I'll be brief because I don't know much about MCU, though I have seen almost all of the movies now because I had a partner that was really interested. And then when I watched The Avengers, which I thought was really fun, and Gina hit that hit the nail on the head, that's the saying, um, about Joss creating characters that you care about. I didn't really know, like I knew Joss did that, but coming into it, I, you know, coming into it pretty oblivious to anything before this. I just know that all these characters were comic book characters. I fell in love with them. And that's why I continued to watch the movies because like, if it wasn't for Joss Whedon, doing the Avengers, I probably would never have seen any of these movies. And I'm glad that I did because I do think they're really fun to watch. I even got caught up recently. Side note, Thor is my favorite character and those are my favorite movies of all of those. And I also loved Thor Ragnarok. Um, also Chris, Chris Hemsworth. <sighs> so... <laughs> Uh, it's a fun, fantastic uh, movie watching experience, and like I said, I was really proud for for Joss to to do that. And yeah, man, second 
feature film and he hit it out of the park. And I'm so glad that I was able to to watch that and be a part of that. Okay, now we're going to talk about our final film, which is Alien Resurrection, which, folks, Joss Whedon is attached to, if you didn't know that already. These were very, very hard to come by. So was our cargo. Whatever you got going on here ain't exactly approved by Congress. It's a military operation. Really? Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're a thing, a construct. They grew you in a lab. What the hell is going on here? He is breeding an alien species. I wish you could understand what we're trying to do here. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. You want to tell us what this is? It's a queen. She'll breed. You'll die. Ripley died trying to wipe the species out. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobby. I can feel it. I can hear it moving. So here you like ran into these things before. Yeah. What did you do? I died. We're moving. That's a standard emergency procedure. Any serious problem in the ship autopilots back to home base. What's home base? Earth. So that was released in November 26 in 1997. Mm, I love the 90s. Um, So the summary is Ripley 8, a human-alien hybrid clone, is aboard the vessel Aruga, along with a group of space pirates. However, when aliens invade, Ripley does her best to prevent them from reaching and destroying Earth, meaning aliens as in xenomorphs, because if you learn... You can't mess with the xenomorphs. It's never going to turn out well for anyone involved. So don't think you can contain them. Don't think you can do anything with them. They will get out and they will kill everyone. So this was written by Joss Whedon and directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. That is French. Sorry about that. Uh, it stars some some big names and some of my favorite uh, actors and definitely genre favorites. We have Sigourney Reaver reprising her role as Ripley. We have Winona Ryder as Call. We have Ron Perlman as Joner. We have Michael Wincott as Elgin. Dan Hedea as General Perez. And I'll mention Brad Dourif as Gettyman. Music by John Frizzell. So everyone's general thoughts, if you've seen Alien Resurrection, I will start and briefly say that this is not 
the most well-liked of the, the first four Alien movies in the franchise. I still think it has merit. I still think it's a lot of fun. It's not as serious as our first two films and not even as serious as Alien 3. But, you know, some have said, and I can agree with this and I can see this, this is kind of Joss's foray into like a ragtag group of like miscreants, space pirates, and, you know, kind of doing stuff because it's, you know, that ragtag crew, they've brought back cargo for the scientists on this huge, massive ship. And they're there's there to kind of like have their lodgings for the night. And then they're on their way to do other ragtag miscreant group of things out in space. So that speaks very much of Firefly. So I love that aspect of it. Some great performances. Um, So yeah, it's generally not well liked by people who love the franchise like myself, but I still think it's a lot of fun and is not to be taken as seriously, but it's got a fantastic cast as xenomorphs. And when they're not CGI xenomorphs are very moist, but they're, they're very creepy because I love xenomorphs. I love seeing them at any point. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not a hater of this film. I, I remember being very, very excited about it coming out purely because the director, um, Jean-Pierre Jeannot, I believe his name is, um, mm-hmm. I had seen Delicatessen at uh, quite a young mm-hmm. age, um, and City of Lost Children I had seen as well. Um, so mm-hmm. I was, I kind of knew the director, and I knew how amazing his sets were and the look he could get. Um, and also, mm-hmm. I loved all the Alien movies, so I was really up for it. Um, I remember feeling a bit flat with it. it was, I don't quite know yeah. why it didn't click. It wasn't an awful long time after Alien 3, which I really like. It's, it's, it, there's something not quite clicked, and I've enjoyed it years, again years after. At the cinema, I remember being a little bit disappointed, but he has made some amazing films. Um, I mean, my daughter's called Amelie, um, named after his film after Alien Resurrection. And he's just, you know, he's a fantastic director. So um, it is a great film. I mean, Scorny Weaver, I could watch her in anything. She is just the ultimate badass, as far as I'm concerned. And she was very good in this. You know, Winona Ryder's in it. You know, I'm I, I happy to count it as, you know, this four films. I mean, it's better than Prometheus, I think. It's better than Covenant. They're, they sit a bit funny with me. But, you know, as four alien films... They're really good. I'd say they're probably in about the right order. I, I'm very much, I love Aliens, and I love Alien, and I can never work out which I love more. So, um, and Alien 3, really, I, even though that had troubles, I always, I love David Fincher, so I just think that was fantastic. But this sits quite nicely, probably out of the four, the, the, the fourth best. I think it occupies a very similar position for me to um, Army of Darkness, in that it's a very strange kind of funny film that bookends a series that isn't really meant to be funny. It may not be a great alien film, but it is a great Joss Whedon alien film. When I, I, I love all, all the alien movies. And I first saw Resurrection before I knew who directed it. And I was a bit like, it, it kind of confused me. I wasn't really, I enjoyed the film, but it didn't really feel like it was part of the franchise. And then when I found out Joss had done it, I was like, okay, now that, now that makes sense. It's kind of Joss's weird head trip nods to the franchise, but it's not really, like tonally, it's so different. So it's quite hard to judge them as part of the same sort of universe, even though they explicitly are. But I mean, it's, it's a fantastic film, great ensemble cast, 
all you know working quite well like you, you can't really hate it taken as a singular film it's just when you make it part of the franchise that the cracks start to show for me he should have directed it that too yeah <laughs> I, th- I think um and i'm sure i've read a long time ago that pierre genos just said it was the worst experience of his life but he learned a lot from it and he's i just think he's used to filming in france big budgets in terms of french cinema but doing a huge hollywood thing with all those egos and all that it's just not the way he worked and i think that's the bit that made it muddy but overall it's still a good film i, I quite like it it's it's enjoyable. It's, it's you know it's a funny, entertaining movie, and that's all you really need it to be. Um, Gina, how about you? Have you seen it? I am the worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I'm a huge geek, but the two franchises that I've never gotten into, and not because they're not amazing, I'm sure it's just I haven't really seen them in forever. Is the Terminator and Alien? So. <laughs> 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 great show for you <laughs> i know i but i will definitely watch these now so yeah. um okay so a little bit of behind the scenes uh so the studio initially envisioned the film alien resurrection centering around a clone of the character newt from aliens as the ellen ripley character had died at the end of alien 3 spoiler not spoiler uh joss composed a 30-page treatment surrounding this idea before being informed that the studio though impressed with his script now intended to base the story on a clone of ripley whom they saw as the anchor of the series agreed i love ripley and i will i have my other podcast, we have delved deep into the Alien franchise. I've written articles about Ripley and the parallels with Buffy. I recommend folks. They're all on the HBOTheNevers.com website. I have many thoughts on the whole franchise, um, which is well beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but if anybody wants to talk about it uh, on the social medias, then we definitely can. Um, Joss's initial idea for the final alien threat was different from what ended up in the film. The newborn, envisioned as a fleshy, gelatinous thing with glinting round eyes in the movie, was initially envisioned as huge and spider-like, with red veins pulsing beneath pure white skin. The classic alien's inner jaws are joined by a pair of insectoid pinchers that smash into the sides of the victim's heads as it drinks their blood. Whoa! (laughs) Now that would have been way more terrifying that than that adorable newborn alien which everyone hates it but i think it's really cute and then i so i just i can't help but love it what's everybody's brief thoughts on that newborn design yeah i i, I just it's goofy uh, yeah it never bothered me um i can't say i was overly offended by it i just i yeah it, it's just compared to what you've seen in some of the other films bits yeah. like that just it just didn't feel up to task so um it was fine but the, the bit i was kind of want to know is what is your order that you have of the of say these oh. four movies that's uh, the bit i was alluding to so uh, um, i'd like to know your your favorite order oh um it's very easy it's the exact chronological order that they're in alien aliens alien three resurrection that's, fair. that's <laughs> what i thought it would be that's fine <laughs> i feel like briefly that each film has its own set of themes and ideas and commentary, and they're all very different. And I love that so much about this franchise, that you can have an overarching enemy, overarching themes, but each individual um, iteration of 
the franchise and of all of these themes are very different from each other. And I love it so, so much. I rewatched all four of them last April because, uh, you know, Alien Day is April 26th, folks. And last year, my other podcast celebrated the 40th anniversary of the release of Alien. And I watched all of these movies. And though terrifying, they are so incredible with all of the themes that they really they touch on abortion, reproductive rights, feminism, and all kinds of different things like that. And I am here for it. And Ripley is tied with Buffy as my favorite women and woman in horror because she is incredible. Not in many franchises do you get to see a progression and character arc like you do with Ripley. And I love it so much. Again, this is a thing where, like, I could go on for 24 hours like Gina on The Avengers, but uh, we won't, and that'll be something else. So I'm going to carry on to a little bit here about Joss's um, script because there was a lot of issues behind the scenes. Joss Whedon wrote five different versions of the final act, none of which ended up in the film, and there are some issues. I know he's not the most proud of the end result, but I still think it does have a lot of merit to it. So in Joss's first draft, the newborn and Ripley wind up in the mercenary ship, the Betty, just as they did in the final piece. But the difference here is that the ship ultimately crashes on Earth in the middle of the forest. So Call, the female synthetic, uh, Ripley and two other characters survive the crash, but so does the newborn. Ripley, realizing that they've cra- they've, sorry, that they've landed perilously close to a city, resolves to take out of her, take out her nemesis before it can harm anyone else and armed with a grenade launcher prepares to do battle. Epic. The newborn only, maybe only hours old, but it's more than a match for Ripley though. And she's almost defeated when Call rides in to lend a hand on something called a harvester, a kind of futuristic flying combine harvester. Battered by grenades and finally driven into the jaws of the harvester, the alien abomination is ripped apart. It's acid blood sparking a fire. The story ends with Ripley, Call, and the other survivors drinking whiskey in the dying embers of the alien and the now destroyed machine. Ripley faces an uncertain future, but finally she's back home, which there's some elements of that in the finalized version where Ripley now is back as a clone, part alien hybrid. Uh, Her life is now her own, hopefully, finally, and it's it's a, I think it's a good a good ending for Ripley, but I much prefer the the ending of Ripley in Alien Three. Um, okay, so we kind of touched on this, but briefly, how does uh, Alien Resurrection compare to the films that came before it? I've kind of already stated my opinion on that. It doesn't have the same punch as I think the first three does, but I still think it's a fun movie in an, in and of itself. Yeah, I, as I said, I can't decide between one and two, which I love more. This. Number one is more of a horror film, which I absolutely love. Number two is a war film um, with the horror thrown in there as well. And just, you know, two of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, Gina, has you, have you seen any? So you haven't seen any of the Alien movies? So I think I saw the first one a long time ago. And, and that just means I need to watch it, <laughs> you know? I think if you like, honestly, because now I'm learning more about your thoughts on horror. So if you like smart horror, honestly, there's been 40 years of research and academic thoughts and opinions and speculations on the franchise, especially the first couple of movies. So if you like smart horror, honestly, I think you'll like this franchise uh, because I... I love horror movies as a form of entertainment and creative output, but I also love how horror can 
show us, you know, the anxieties and fears that we have in society and put it in a safe place, which is horror movies and social commentary. And it's a, it is a wonderful genre to get into. And there are some movies that don't have anything to say. And there are tons of horror movies that do have something to say. And whether really, I know Ridley Scott had no plans and great intentions to have a really incredibly, um, academic movie in alien but there's a lot to say in that and i think gina that you would appreciate it and that's all i'll say about that <laughs> all right here's a question for you who's the toughest ripley or sarah connor in terminator 2 Rip- ripley in- ripley in aliens versus sarah connor in terminator oh, jesus christ i don't like this question okay so growing up I was obsessed with Sarah Connor in T2. I was like, she is badass. She is hardened. And she's doing these chin-ups in her, like, I'm going to call it a cell, (laughs) in the institution. I was just like, she is amazing. And Ripley, I feel like they're, they they come up against really terrifying foes. Xenomorphs are probably scarier for me, but also being set in space is much more terrifying because, you know, uh, you know, like they said, in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> but damn, that is, that's a good question. That's hard. That's hard. I'd probably have to think about that. But I think my initial gut reaction is Ripley because she goes up against Xenomorphs, which are infinitely scarier than uh, Terminators. I agree. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> everyone, I'm but going shit, against man. Terminator here, but I think Ripley is just absolutely incredible. The, the way her character develops... Oh, especially those first two movies, um, it, it's incredible. But you know, she outlived all them soldiers, all them people. You know what I mean? She, she was the last one standing, obviously with Newt as well. But um, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. You know. So, um, but obviously, yeah. She for me, Ripley just takes it. Personally, I think um, in a fist fight, T <laughs> two Sarah Connor over Ripley. Full, like, full equipment, I would put Ripley over Sarah Connor. I feel like Ripley's more of kind of a, a marksman-type character, whereas Connor is more just a straight-up brawler. But both are, like, absolute legends, so more more than likely they'd end up just working together. Yeah, Rip- Ripley would use her mind a bit more, whereas you feel Sarah Connor would be more about Indeed. blunt force trauma. Yeah, she's, she's impulsive. She's an impulsive, emotional... Um, badass and Ripley is very strategic and I think that comes just with her background. Yeah. Mm. I you know, Sarah Connor's all about her experience. Um, whereas Ripley has actual like real life technical skills in in what she what she's doing. And and of course that combined with her experience makes her a uh, highly intelligent uh like final woman uh, and badass. So this is the Nevers podcast, so we do have to bring things full circle. We're wondering about potential horror influences in the Nevers. Like, I'm not sure that's entirely the angle Joss is going for, but you mm-hmm. have to think this is like a, a sci-fi fantasy series set in the Victorian era, which is the era of the Penny Dreadful. You've got you know, Edgar Allan Poe, Jack the Ripper... Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein all kind of centred around that general era I think it would be a huge waste not to include some of those I think the reason why Jack the Ripper is such a kind of great well to keep dipping from is because 
he's such a kind of pop culture icon but we know next we know that he well we don't know it's a he we know they were a person going around murdering streetwalkers and that's about it we have a rough idea of who we think it might have been but we know that we have no hard facts which is just the perfect opportunity for someone as creative as joss to take those fragments and just run with it and do whatever they want yeah my my, my thought has actually been doing about jack the ripper in school believe it or not um so she's become quite obsessed with it now and um but like so she we think it's a, it was a doctor of some kind don't we because mm. there was medical procedures involved but the the teacher in school is telling my daughter that they think it might have been a nurse for some reason again that might be quite interesting because everyone thinks it's a man a, a, a man with a, a you know a big hat on and a cape um running around with his scalpel I think making it a woman would be quite interesting, you know, um, and because no one expected it to be a nurse. I think that could be quite a nice angle on it as well. And very Joss thing to do as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And then Loki comes in and it's him. <laughs> I'm looking, what, what is the Nevers? Is it an area? What, what does it, do we know what the Nevers is? We do, sort of. The Nevers is... The, the the main group they're they're women that have developed these strange powers that like the people that have power are called the touched and then the nevers refers to we believe a specific group of them that are kind of the main protagonists of the show and the, the, the name the nevers refers to because they're people that never should have been because they're not like you're not meant to have these elaborate and extreme powers um for me i'm fine if there's no horror influences because i like um joss whedon's sci-fi work which you know is firefly uh and dollhouse i guess you could argue that there is some horror influence in serenity and firefly with the reavers but it's very very little but like in a day-to-day life for them and and the episodes and everything there's not it's it's more sci-fi it's all spacey and futuristic and fun um with the horror so i'm fine with no horror being in it or supernatural i'm um, but of course, if there's a dash of it here and there, a little horror adjacent stuff, I'd be into that. And yeah, I don't think you could ever overdo Jack the Ripper because that was a quacky time. And if mm. you can imagine what it's like being investigators when you have like nothing to work with, it's like it's crazy. And also it's like very classic. And I think if they have like little dashes of stuff to, to throw in that is of that time, I would be fine with that. But then really 100% totally fine if he didn't at all, because I think that's that would be kind of an expectation. I would love him to like blow away everybody's expectations and not have that. Also, because I love the TV show that was sadly canceled called Benny Petty Dreadful, which already does all of this. It's gothic horror in Victorian London with all of our, you know, gothic and our old literature um characters in it victor frankenstein um and and roles like that we already kind of have that so i would be fine without it i can't see it being an ongoing theme but i I would be okay if they did like one episode that was based around horror stories but not Mm -hmm. a recurring theme within the show yeah yeah for sure there's lots to play with that i think would still be fun Indeed. Yeah, the possibilities are endless, especially in that time period. And like, we could always have more Victorian London. Again, I know it's like a, you know, a, a thing that's been done a million times, but to see Joss's take, oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm gonna move on into our one listener submitted letter. And of course, it comes from 
Will, or <laughs> as we're going to call you, B. Halverson. So he writes in, it's more of a letter. Yeah, it's just a letter. There's no questions in it, but uh, we definitely want to read it out because he's one of our Patreon supporters. So thank you. Uh, he says, hello, Neverruptions. I hope that's how he wants that pronounced. <laughs> I think it's um, like Lilliputians from Gulliver's Travels. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I never know any of these references. <laughs> Thanks for another great episode. If we are to make it through this apocalypse with our sanity intact, we need as much entertaining, thoughtful, and most importantly, distracting content as possible. I agree. I really enjoyed the last episode on the first three monstrous women. Thank you. I don't think I've seen anyone try to tackle Veruca in a serious way before, so that was well overdue. Faith and Vampire Willow are, of course, fan favorites, and I also always enjoy hearing people talk about them. I'd love to see Jess come back for the follow-up to your Monstrous Women episode. Crossing my fingers for a Moriarty show written, directed, and with original music done by Gina and her sister. (laughs) Someone has to pick that up, considering the recent success of movies and shows that place well-known villains as the protagonist. So yeah, that's about all I can think of. Uh, he says, it's all I can think of. Looking forward to more content from you guys. Stay safe in these insane times. Don't lose your minds. If you have any of them left, you're doing better than me. Burger. So thank you very much for loving that first produced episode by me. And I look forward to doing it in the future. I love it. So stay, like I said, stay tuned for the monstrous women of Buffy and Angel coming up in the next few months i think it's set for maybe august but uh you know later this summer we'll have it and so thank you very much i'm really excited for the next episode of that as well uh some of my favorite characters i'm looking forward to it watching uh re-watching angel and the whole darla scenario is just beautiful so i'm very much looking forward to talking about her um, and I also have to state, which I don't think we did earlier, but any of our listeners, if you have any shirt ideas or design ideas for Marks, let them know. Like, send in a tweet, email them, you know, that type of thing. Of course, you know, any obscure, fun, horror, sci-fi, or nerdy kind of um, ideas, I'm sure he'd be happy to hear them because the more the merrier, right? Yep. Same. Thank yeah. you very much. That'd be brilliant. Okay, so yeah, rounding it up, uh, getting into the last segment, which is you can say that again. So this is a part of the show where one or more of us share a line or two of dialogue from a Joss Whedon show or film that we like. So, but from Alien Resurrection, one of my favorite things that Ripley says is, she'll breed, you'll die. I was like, yes, the the, the xenomorphs are going to breed. The, you know, the queen's going to breed. Everyone's going to breed. You're all going to die. And that's grim. And she knows because she has seen this for hundreds and hundreds of years so folks don't mess with the xenomorphs um one that really sticks out to me and i feel like it's very prescient at this time of the world and it's so beautiful is a line that nick fury says towards the beginning of the film and it is until such time as the world ends we will act as though it intends to spin on like are you serious unfortunately very prescient right now mm-hmm. and, and very inspiring in a way so yeah i love that line I, my favorite quote i think i've already said does mother know you're wearing you're wearing her drapes <laughs> that i remember absolutely crying at that in the cinema because that's just that is, you can picture it and it's the way up to that point four they dyed his eyebrows he spoke in a very funny shakespearean way and that's when he started lighting up because of the way Iron Man spoke to him. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I think that's a great development for Thor's character. So that's my favorite line. I mean, 
it's hard to pick from these films we've got today there's so many fantastic lines i mean gun to my head if i had to pick something that kind of really spoke to me it would have to be it's from the avengers and it's when they're on the big highway bruce banner's just driven up on a little moped and it's all very funny he's dr banner now might be a really good time for you to get angry that's my secret captain i'm always angry I had chills. I had chills. I know, it's such a good line. It's just the world's most epic. It's not even a mic drop. That's a Mjolnir drop right there. <laughs> like, it's just such a perfect line. And on a more personal note, for someone that has massively struggled with my temper over the years, like just, it just really resonated with me. It's like, it's such a brilliant line. Oh, such a great scene. Such a great film. And, and Ruffalo delivers it perfectly like so low key and then a second later like without any real kind of trigger he just massively hulks out it's like oh it's always there just simmering below the surface i think that's us wrapped up for the evening big thank you mark for coming along you're a great pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much like you've you've really been a supporter of ours from pretty much day one and from like from everyone here i just want to say thank you so much for your ongoing support and amazing t-shirts would you like to talk to our audience briefly and just tell them where they can find you and all that good plug type stuff yeah yeah just do a search for dead good tees um just as i said you know we're for the fans we're not a big company trying to make loads of money it's literally about having fun with 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 the t-shirts um you can find us on facebook and twitter and instagram um but i would really love to hear some of the some of the fan you guys ideas so just drop me an email info at deadgoodtees.co.uk or through facebook or instagram whatever and i'll you know i'd love to hear you know some of your ideas for some t-shirts doesn't matter how obscure someone will get it i've worn some of my t-shirts out and people have said to me you know they knew where i was from which i never thought they'd get except that one from uh miracle milford london so um there we go and uh, it's been a real pleasure talking guys and thank you very much very welcome it's been a pleasure to have you so we are the Nevers podcast uh, you can find us on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts soundcloud youtube cup on a string anywhere you can listen to stuff we're there for all the nevers related content you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at hbo the nevers or go to our website hbothenevers.com where we regularly upload articles clips news all the good stuff if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at theneverspodcast at gmail.com. Kelly, Gina, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online, should they choose? Sure. So, listeners, you know, I write for the, the website, so see my blog posts there. I am, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter is at kgrender, I believe. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um and then yeah you, you should be able to find me at my name or venal anatomica on instagram and then of course i will always plug i spin on your podcast which is my other podcast talking about all horror related stuff and when this comes out i think this should still be in the month of april but we're doing all about spooky women and a celebration of elvira the mistress of the dark herself so spinsterzofhorror.com 
check me out over there as well. For me, my Twitter handle is Gina Gemini, Gina, G-E-M-E-N-I. And then really quick, a little plug for me, because Will mentioned it earlier in his letter. Um, My sister and I co-wrote a short story. It's a Sherlockian short story. It's called Moriarty's Final Problem. What if Moriarty came back from the dead because he never died? And um, it takes place in Victorian London. You can find it on Amazon, Moriarty's Final Problem. Uh, Yeah, feel free to give it a read if you'd like. I will definitely check that out. I have no social media or anything because even digitally I take social distancing very seriously. (laughs) So I believe that's us done for the day. I have been Tyke and this has been the Nevers Podcast. Yay. <laughs> that was pretty damn epic. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on the Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. Do you like what you hear on the Nevers podcast? Care to share your opinion? If you do, then consider leaving a review for the show. Your review helps us to reach new listeners and let us know how we're doing. Go on, it only takes a minute.